the, the normal right now that feels limiting or constricting was once a dream that we had collectively. And it's so what, in other words, our framework of our society and lifestyle today would be considered so liberating, so Uranian to a human being hundreds and hundreds of years ago. lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have eclectic and impactful conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. On this episode, I interviewed Catherine Urban about the Saturn-Uranus square in light of some research and a presentation she recently gave on this square. This is a transit that has defined the 2021 mood and zeitgeist. It is a transit that has kind of taken center stage after the Saturn-Pluto conjunction in 2020 that brought the global contraction that was the pandemic. And the Saturn-Uranus square has been like the destabilization and restabilization, you know, tensions that have followed that historical event, you know, and are, are kind of coming to grips with the types of changes and instabilities and shifts that it's creating. So this is happening at a collective level, but also a deeply personal level, you know, any world transit has that and we go in and out of, you know, the personal and the collective in this episode. So at the moment of recording this intro, it's December 22nd, 2021. Tomorrow, December 23rd, Saturn and Uranus will form their third and last exact square of this closing square, where they're three quarters of the way through their journey. So we call this a last quarter square in the sense that, you know, a last quarter moon is a last quarter square between the sun and the moon. And any two planets also have a synodic cycle together like the sun and the moon do. And right now we're at this point in time where Saturn and Uranus are three fourths of the way through their cycle that was initiated the last time that they were conjunct in, I believe, 1988. Okay, I just checked. It was 1988 that they were originally conjunct. And so we're at this three fourths of the way through their cycle. And this last quarter square between any set of planets, the last quarter is called a crisis in consciousness. The Saturn-Uranus square correlates with a sense of instability, disruption to equilibrium, the idea of new normal, right? It is tensions between convention and tradition, Saturn, and futuristic development, Uranus. Conserving, Saturn, versus exploring new territory, Uranus. Structure, Saturn, versus breaking free, Uranus. You know, if you think about different clashing viewpoints um, related to global conflict, you might feel these kind of archetypal themes at play. The square is confrontational in nature relating to the ways that situations cropping up now in our own lives and in the collective are often impasses that demand invention. Catherine reminds us here that need begets invention and a way that the last quarter square 
is actually called a crisis in consciousness, right? So that's, that's the kind of global moment that we're in. A little while back, Catherine and I were catching up over the phone and she was telling me about her research. I felt really lit up and knew I wanted to podcast about it together since I feel that her work and contemplation in this area is thought provoking, clarifying and opening for relating to where we are right now. Catherine brings in examples of how this transit is impacting technology, infrastructure, sustainability, economics, and people's values around work or not working and more. We recorded this episode December 1st, 2021 on the day of Neptune's station direct. And in a meta way, I had a Saturn Uranus experience 15 minutes before our meeting. I received some personally shocking news and my equilibrium was knocked before we recorded. So it was kind of like, do I reschedule and catch my balance solo or do I take it in stride and do the podcast episode? And I'm not dogmatic about that kind of thing. I think each thing is situational in that, you know, moment. I was actually realizing how meta it was because we were about to record about Saturn Uranus and I had just felt personally destabilized, right? Um, So I decided to go in for the episode, but I was very grateful that I got to talk to Catherine about what was going on in the space of that aftershock. And I have noticed personally that Saturn Uranus has been giving me a few opportunities like that to find my way back to stability and center when it's disrupted and also to re-envision my normal, um, allow these disruptions to unravel parts of my crystallized consciousness that need that, right? Like a kind of healthy shock um, to allow my consciousness software to be upgraded, if you will, and if you'll forgive the tech metaphor. I also wanted to share in my evolutionary astrology intensive this last week, one of my students talked about how working with the class material on the archetypes we're moving our way through the signs and the planets currently was shedding new light for them on the general sense of doom, inability to plan for the future, loss of faith that is felt as a general collective mood and that they were, you know, relating to. And that working with the astrological concepts we are covering in class was bringing in a new sense of optimism and courage around writing a new story in relationship to this kind of collective mood. And I was really touched by this. I relate to this being part of the reason that we practice astrology, whether it's our own natal chart or the world transits or some combination of both that we're gazing into. Mythic and symbolic languages have long appealed to me as ways to reimagine our participation with the world, with the stories that we are weaving, because we are always telling stories personally and collectively. And these stories, the quality of these stories definitely impacts the type of, you know, morale or agency that we feel in walking the path of this life. And I think that naturally astrology has this philosophical or wondrous kind of component to it where it's like looking into what's happening in the sky like what are the cards so to say and how are we going to relate to these influences studying larger cycles of time can situate us in a context and the moment in time that you know we're in right now this saturn uranus square the global tensions it represents this moment of crisis and consciousness, right? This is the 
this is what we're exploring in this episode and how it's a moment that also favors or calls for breakthrough. And so really, you know, tune in with where in your life you are at those kind of crossroads where um, maybe there's two things that you're stuck between or certain options that feel available and you're waiting for that kind of magical third, right? Like the the surprising or the innovative thing that emerges and waiting may not be, you know, sometimes waiting, it does just kind of bubble up from the unconscious. Um, But sometimes it is also an active approach that we take, right? Like we realize that we're relating to a certain pattern or a certain problem in a historic way. And we just try something different. Like we kind of create the interruption in the system and through that interruption, find the gnosis, find the kind of like magical opening. Breakthrough is exciting because after the tension of the impasse or the block, solutions or forms of progress we might not have even imagined or were not even part of the previous paradigm begin to emerge. At a mythic level, this is often the way the story goes. It's this moment in the hero's journey when the obstacle seems insurmountable, but some hidden reserve of wisdom, insight, epiphany makes way for a new way of relating to the situation. So before I get into this episode, I have a few announcements. Um, One is that my astrology reading books are open. I have a limited number left. And then also Meteorite 2022 is coming. It's going to be early March. Um, I'm going to leave the course page in the notes so you can check it out and apply. Meteorite is a program for alumni of the Evolutionary Astrology Intensive. It's a high-level practitioner course where the focus is the cultivation of astrological embodiment and voice. So we get deeper into what we've already learned and we study astrology for the sake of really deepening our personal relationship with it. Like I think of it in the way that whenever I do inner work or have an initiating experience on my path, it deepens me in my practice and it deepens my offering, right? And there's just this kind of way that it feels like energy work or acupuncture, astropuncture, if you will, to contemplate an astrological technique, try it, apply it, and to feel that that shift. And that's the embodiment part. So we'll be getting into transits, you know, and talking about our transits in community. And a major feature of the course is a creative project. This is going to be a year long course. um, And the creative project can be creative, scholarly, research oriented. And it can also be something personal, like embodying a part of your natal chart. This will be the second run of this course, but it is new material. The first meteorite um, ended recently. It was profound, so enlivening and electrifying and such a brilliant community and such amazing projects were created. And the next meteorite is going to be open to the alumni of that meteorite, as well as the evolutionary astrology intensive. Um, So if you're wanting to deepen your astrology practice in a high level practitioner community, meteorite is an opportunity for you. And I'll leave the link in the notes for you to read more about it and apply. And my friend Carla Palomino and I are doing a 
astrological embodiment ceremony for the transit of Venus retrograde in particular. This is going to be on December 26th, Heart and Bone. It is a ceremony through transmission and movement. We will be really connecting this to our soma or somatics. Um, we're going to be exploring themes like heart de-armoring, right? Like Venus and Capricorn, right? Venus relating to the heart, of course, and Capricorn being structures and boundaries, the bones. Um, so we're going to be exploring that kind of connection internally between the heart and the bones, as well as the process of delayering some of those um, guarding kind of behave like guarding energetics around the heart. So even leading up to this ceremony, it's been profound to feel that working with me and to be part of an ongoing journey, I would say about heart de-armoring. Um, so I'm really just excited to be offering this. Carla is incredibly brilliant. I've learned so much from her. She's my friend and my embodiment teacher, and I'm really excited to be doing this ceremony. So if you're feeling like journeying deeper into this Venus retrograde and exploring, you know, through internal embodied alchemy, heart opening and heart de-armoring, um, join us. The link will be in the notes as well. And I'll get into our episode now about the Saturn Uranus square, the crisis in consciousness with Catherine Urban. Today, Neptune is stationing, and we knew this when we planned this. We anticipated it. We both have the Sun square Neptune natally. But I think what's also really interesting is that in between the time that we scheduled this and that we're meeting today, we had like an astral plane crossover and basically had the same dream and compared the notes of it. So that was a very mystical experience, you know, like even though magic happens, um, and I expect the magic in some sense i'm still always in awe that like what is this reality that we like went to the same place in the dream world and compared notes and details right like yeah yeah it's it's wild um i just i love when we can verify that this that this interaction is taking place because how often do you have dreams with people that you know or people in your orbit and if you're really close to the person, you can say, Hey, I dream, I dreamt with you last night. And very often the response is, Hey, that's cool. What were we doing? Um, but it's really cool when there is that, um, crossover and that the details end up to be pretty similar. So that's right. That's very cool. Yeah. I definitely, I was wearing this particular outfit in the dream that I'd never put those pieces together in my wardrobe. And so in the morning, I decided to just wear that as a way to kind of like build a bridge to the dream world. But then I posted a picture of it on Instagram and mentioned that in the caption. And you were like, I saw you like on the dream plane, like excited about the dress you were wearing. So, yeah. And, um, the dress that you, the outfit that you were wearing was different from the one I perceived you to be wearing, but it's still, um, a very aligned overlap that in the dream, I, I perceived you to be, you were dressed up and you were wearing this dress. It was green and black, and you had your hair done and we were going to like a party and you were very excited about the outfit and you were like, Hey, you should get dressed too. 
which I did. And then we went to this cool party. It was like at a Harry Potter type castle and right. there were other astrologers. And in my dream, there was a castle and people, I overheard people talking in British accents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you said something about a gate, um, which triggered my memory that when I saw you in the dress that you were, it was like a, it was like a gate, like door, like one of those castle doors. It's like iron, but it was like, mm-hmm. it was, it was like to the outside. So it wasn't a solid door. It was gate. Like, so it's just fascinating that we connected that way. How do you contextualize experiences like this? Gosh, um, I just think that there are multiple planes of existence and the astral plane um, is one that we connect with in our dream state. Um, But I think that obviously um, to the ancients, to the ancients, they perceive the dream plane to be just as real as this one, as in our waking life. Um, and so the things that happen in the dream state are, they can be omens, they can be messages from spirit, and it can be ways to connect with other beings. Um, but it's interesting when you connect with another person and you can actually remember that and, and verify it. And, um, I just think, I just perceive it as a tool of consciousness and a tool of awareness and a reminder that there's more to life than just this reality. Beautiful. I love that this like, yeah, Neptunian energy and the, the kind of like reality of the dream too. Um, so for people who are tuning in, um, we've had you on the podcast pretty recently. Um, we were talking about family astrology. Um, but before we dive in, um, can you tell us about your astrology practice these days? Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, and thank you so much for having me back. It's an absolute joy to be a guest on the magic of the spheres. And I had a blast chatting with you last time. So thank you so much for having me back. Um, basically my practice mostly consists of one-on-one client consultations. Um, I use a variety of predictive techniques, including transits, secondary progressions, perfections, solar returns. And I also offer another service called Horary. And that one I'm a little newer to, um, but I love it. And that service has been growing a lot for me. So I really enjoy that because each, each, each Horary is something new that I learn and so much I mean, that could be said too of client consultations. We're always still learning. Um, It's part of the humbling element of the work that we do. Um, So that's pretty much what I'm focused on in terms of my personal um, practice. And yeah, just still, I'm I'm a mom. So a lot of my um, time is spent with family right now. And that part of my life is absolutely wonderful too. That's so beautiful. I feel like the way that you um, transmit astrology has this like really strong crossover of like the empathic, like humanistic, like nurturing plus like the highly technical, precise, um, you know, intelligence that you need for horary or, you know, working with these timing techniques. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. Um, you know, my background is as a hairstylist. So I spent 
days in and day out, um, listening to people, conversing with people, making friends and building relationships with people. And also, meanwhile, my brain, my, the gears are turning in my brain with formulation and, and the technique that goes behind it. So that's a beautiful reflection. Thank you. And so you've been doing some research. You presented it recently um, around the Saturn Uranus square. So I'd love to hear kind of what um, what you discovered or like what was standing out to you about this transit. Yeah, absolutely. So recently um, I had the honor of speaking at the NCGR online symposium. And my lecture was on the industrial evolution. So actually bridging from my experience as a hairstylist and watching that industry shift. Um, cause I, I left, I officially left the industry, um, around the time of the pandemic. So around the time that everything started shutting down was around the time that I started to transition away. And so it's very fresh in my mind. So I was thinking a lot about how I see the industries changing around us. I see stores closing down, businesses closing, which is obviously, I feel so bad for um, the people who put their livelihoods into, into their work. Um, and also just seeing, um, seeing the pressures that are building in various sectors of industry around us. Um, I also temporarily worked at a hospital. So I had an inside view there as well. So I, my mind was just on industry and how that was being, um, how that relates very much to the defining aspect of 2021, which is the Saturn you're on a square. And so that was my focus. But what I found in my research was how this aspect, um, really tended to correspond with technological breakthroughs and also um, cultural and social revolutions that were happening. So in other words, major societal and cultural shifts. And one of the reflections that I really, um, really was able to surmise from, from all of this research was basically that needs beget invention. And we're in a time right now where we we're certainly going to talk more about this. We're in the closing square. So we're in a crisis of consciousness. And so the crisis is there's well, there's a crisis. Look around. Um, the pressures can are certainly palpable. But what that does is it it begets um, change. There has to be something that shifts. And so these inventions that I was dis discovering deeply correspond to what's happening on a deeper social and cultural level, which is evolution. I feel so alive hearing you say these things because I mean, not only am I getting like, you know, subtle, like chills and whatnot, but the, the way that you're speaking to like, what's really happening. Like, I feel like there's so much, um, pandemonium, you know, like around what's happening that sometimes it feels like static. And when like something is just dialed in of like, okay, it's the crisis in consciousness, uh, need begets invention. So if we can like break it down to, to, um, what the closing square is, um, just in terms of the planetary cycle and Saturn and Aquarius, and Uranus and Taurus as energies and of themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So 
big picture, the Saturn Uranus cycle is about a 45 year cycle. Um, and we are at the closing square. And if so like we think three about orders of the way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So for um for people that are newer um to this theory is there's the conjunction where the planets align and then there's the opening square at 90 degrees. And then you have, and that's, um, a different kind of crisis. Then you have, um, the opposition and then we're at the closing square and that's where we're at right now. So, um, the two will conjoin once again in 2032 and this closing square that we're in, um, corresponds with the conjunction of 1988. So I know I, cause I was born in 87 that I pretty much have this energy in my chart. Mm. So they, they, um, Saturn and Uranus conjoined in 1988, um, three times between 27 degrees and 30 degrees Sagittarius. So that was on the galactic center, which is pretty neat. That is cool. Um, so yeah, we're wrapping up that cycle and to break down what this cycle entails, let's look at the planetary archetypes a little bit. So Saturn really represents the infrastructure. Saturn represents the rules, the laws, um, the basic infrastructure that keeps everything in order. So we could correspond Saturn with, um, you know, our social and political structures, um, the, basically the norms of society. Um, Saturn is the planet that decides that we have a nine to five work day. Saturn is the planet that decides, um, things like tax brackets and things like that. It's not always fun when we talk about Saturn. Right. Um, These are like very culturally specific or time specific things as well too. Like it's kind of like the conditioning force behind that. Like. Absolutely time. Yeah. So 24 hours a day, no one can argue with that. I mean, you could try. Um, and that would be the Uranus element coming in because Uranus is the revolutionary Revolute um Uranus is um corresponds with Prometheus, which is um innovation and technology. So Uranus is the planet that breaks um that breaks the foundation, that shatters the walls that constrict. Because when we think about Saturn, we can think about order and containment, but at some point it starts to feel it can start to feel restrictive. So that's what this cycle is useful for is breakthroughs um, and evolution of culture, evolution of society. And um, so anytime you get a hard aspect between these two planets, um, we see the pressure start to be felt around what needs to be changed. And that's always going to be relative to what sign the planets are in. Um, So right now we're feeling it in a big way financially because Uranus is in Taurus. So we've been seeing cryptocurrency come out um, in a big way since Uranus entered Taurus. Um, And since Saturn started to make hard aspects with Uranus, we've seen that conversation get a lot bigger. There's um, attempts to regulate it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But we're also seeing themes 
with Uranus and Taurus around the environment, um, major themes around the environment. And how do we, how do we, um, ally ourselves better with the environment, um, both technologically wise and, um, in practice. And Saturn will also tell us about necessity. What's what we have to do in order to stay safe and in order to keep things running in a functional way. And so Saturn in Aquarius, um, is about collective effort and it's also about technology. So, um, one thing I'm, I'm really hoping to see is speaking of the earth, um, is more technological breakthroughs that allow us to live in greater harmony with the planet. Um, but yeah, in general, Uranus is the planet that corresponds with the Prometheus archetype. And if we look at the myth of Prometheus, Ooh, it's juicy. Um, so Richard Tarnas was one of the first astrologers to actually say, Hey, or at least like in a book, um, Hey, the, the archetype Uranus that we get from Greek mythology doesn't really correspond with how the planet behaves. Um, this planet tends to correspond a lot more with Prometheus, um, who was a Titan in Greek, Greek mythology. And, you know, Zeus overthrew the Titans and um, basically sent and but allowed some of the Titans to stick around. So Prometheus was one of them. But what Zeus said was, you cannot give this fire to the humans, because if you do, they'll have too much autonomy. We don't want that. We want them to be dependent on us. Um, we need them to worship us. But Prometheus was the creator of mankind. And Prometheus felt deeply that he needed to do right by humankind and give them this fire, which is a tool and which is a technology. So Prometheus actually broke the rules, um, which is a very Saturn Uranus thing and broke the convention, challenged the status quo and said, no, I feel called to do this. This is needed. And very often when we are experiencing Uranus, there's a rally, there's an urgency that even though something is telling me or the world is telling me that I shouldn't do this, there is an urgency within me to do it. There is a knowing, um, there's an awakening that is taking place. And so we can see that reality reflected today, um, stemming from that myth. Um, so yeah, um, Prometheus basically challenges the status quo and gives fire to the human beings, which again is a, is a tool, which is a technology. And that's one way that we can correspond, um, Uranus with technology. Wow. Um, that has me, you know, the Saturn Uranus, so that core kind of tension between, um, doing things like the normal way or like following the rules versus following some kind of deeper, maybe erratic or like liberating impulse, um, that, you know, I've always thought of the, you know, Prometheus myth in terms of like integration, because Prometheus is punished, like mm -hmm. has his liver eaten out by vultures basically for giving the, um, that technology to the humans. 
And I think that when um, a person has like a really big psychedelic experience and their mind is expanded, that when they come back down to earth, there's this fallen feeling sometimes of like, how do I relate to life now that I've seen this whole other thing? And there's like an integration process that has to happen. And similarly, like if someone's going to, um, you know, like come out in their community as an astrologer, like just an example that, you know, people on this podcast may relate to, and you have family members or coworkers who think that you're kind of like wacky now, like you have to deal with that social integration for having come out with some level of weirdness or like unconventionality. Um, and I guess the stakes change depending on different, you know, but one of the things that was really coming to mind when, you were sharing this was just kind of the phenomenon of like um, people wanting to share information on the internet that challenges the mainstream narrative and then also the censorship of those voices and like both sides, you know, the Uranian side is like, I want to share this information. And the Saturnian side is like, your information is dangerous to public, uh, you know, everyone being on the same side. Um, and that kind of Saturn in Aquarius, like regulating social media kind of thing. And I think that that tension has been um, felt everywhere. Like it's felt from the people that are trying to break the rules and it's felt from the people who are trying to maintain those rules. Like they're really at a head to head in a way that like a couple years ago, social media censorship wasn't really a big conversation. Absolutely. And I love, um, I love those elements that you just brought in Sabrina, because yeah, there is, I mean, squares create tension. And like you said, there's, um, going to be ideas that are more Saturnian, which is let's regulate, let's keep things safe. And, um, and tame, I mean, sometimes Saturn means taming things down. Um, and there's an element of control that goes with it and also an element of tradition. So we see the Saturnian component wanting to keep things in the past, wanting to keep things the same. But the thing about this cycle is that change must take place. That's the thing with Uranus, because the Uranus component can't be ignored. And like you said, there's the other um the other voices, which are creating the kind of friction, which are saying, no, there's this other way, there's this other way. And it can create more possibilities for all of us. Let's keep it free and open. And so, um, one thing that one quote that I found from Alexander Ruperti, who talks specifically about this cycle and specifically the closing square of this cycle in his book, cycles of becoming, it's a fantastic book that talks about planetary cycles and I reference it quite frequently. Um, but he says, we must be strong in the faith that the present inconsistency represents the threshold of some new order of consistency for the future. So I love what you said about integration because it's not that there's a ton of, it's not that it's all the brand new ideas that are coming out. It's that, um, some of the ideas that have been, that have been around that have been maybe more fringy or more radical, um, that represent the push toward the future represent the push toward the unknown are starting to become integrated a little bit more into the Saturnian structure. And so 
Alexander Ruperti insists that um, clinging to the past is futile. Yeah. That change has to take place. And he also says that um, the chain um, that refusal to <laughs> um, refusal to accept that change is happening um, represents um, like basically a stunted spiritual <laughs> growth, basically, yeah. that there's a lot of fear around it. Definitely. You know, it's interesting, like with astrology, with studying cycles and just even like the last quarter phase has been something that I've thought about for years. Like when I learned about it, it was so revelatory for me to just imagine that everything follows these like cycles, just like the moon does every 28 days. And at this, you know, three quarters mark, there's this, um, you know, there's all this building and the whole cycle around like you know, a new beginning or like first growth of something, the kind of full light, the full moon phase. And then as it's beginning to wane and kind of go back to that, like uh, original kind of conjunction point, there's like a dissolving and letting go of the whole journey thus far and seeing things from a different perspective. And I think just contemplating what breakthrough is, is so interesting in the sense that you don't break through anything without a block. And so every time we're at a major impasse, either collectively or personally, it's um, a threshold moment and it's initiatory in some sense, because there's not a promise of making it to the other side. But I think that like seeing the natural quality inherent of it is like, we're on this evolutionary journey or like beings on the planet evolve through different hardships and crises and it requires adaptation and that's very stressful like i don't think you know a lot of people a lot of beings would necessarily like choose that unless people really like the challenge or the adrenaline or whatever like it's a it's like a biological stressor it feels like i mean the pandemic at obviously a biological stressor but just being in an environment in a moment in time where like the normal ways of kind of surviving or say getting ahead aren't so clear as like, that's actually going to work or not that there's a need to be innovative or like, as you were saying, need begets event invention. And I think that as you draw in that spiritual side of it, it's like, where are we going to generate these new ideas? Like there's a kind of. Yeah. And as you're saying that I'm thinking about, the generation having their Saturn return right now. And like me, <laughs> yeah, it's like you and how, um, yeah. And how the, f the future feels a little bit more. I'm general, I'm minimizing that, um, feels a little bit more, um, uncertain than it has previously. And so yeah. it's interesting that the Saturn you're on a square is kind of baked into the Saturn and Aquarius generation Saturn return. And so the need for innovation, the need to kind of maybe take a risk to see what happens because, um, it's also risky to kind of stay in the same system. Right. Um, and so it's, I'll be so interested. And I think it's so, it's so cool for me because I have Saturn and Sag. I love watching 
the Saturn and Capricorn and Saturn and Aquarius people go through their Saturn return because these generations, I think, are very gifted in being able to organize their skill set because of that, like Saturn and domicile. Maybe? Yes, exactly. I want to speak to this like Saturn return theme with this because, um, you know, being in Saturn return after preparing for it, like knowing about it, connecting with Saturn for all these years, it's really visceral, like really like amazing to directly experience it. But one of the things is like pivotal moments in my life, almost like leading up to this moment. And like, we're all Pluto, like you and me and like the Saturn generations you listed are Pluto and Scorpio. And I just remember, you know, like nine 11 as a kid, and then an economic crash when I was in high school and the economic crash in high school, it didn't disillusion me in a particularly challenging way, but what it, it clicked something in my brain of like, Oh, this map in front of me to get good grades, go to college, get a good job. Isn't necessarily even like the promised land. Like, I don't know if I can count on that. And it motivated me to pursue the things I just intrinsically enjoy instead. Like it disconnected me from the matrix a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in terms of finding like a pathway in life, you know, even like a lot of the things that have brought me really great um, satisfaction and fulfillment in life have had some elements of being on the fringe. Like even when I was like, smoking weed secretly in high school and having amazing realizations and knowing full well that if authority figures found out that I was high or that I was high at school, I could get expelled or something like that. And it just did something for me of like, maybe what the status quo says isn't even true. So I've just never trusted it that deeply. Like I've never believed in like, oh, if I just do everything right, then everything will be fine. It's like, I think reality is more wild than that. And like, but that's just, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And that's one of the pieces that I also see integrated into Saturn and Capricorn and Saturn and Aquarius generations is that you all are so gifted with technology. And I know we were only born a few years apart, but, um, I look at my younger brother who is Saturn and Capricorn and it was him and his friends who all just got computers, you know, they understood it. And I, I wonder if this has something to do. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of astrologers will, um, relate like the Uranus Neptune conjunction in Aquarius of like 92 or 93, I want to say. Yeah. That's like awesome. This, <laughs> oh, awesome. <laughs> as this like big tech neological and, and a lot of astrologers will say, oh, it's that generation. But I think it happens sooner. I think it's I think it's the Saturn Uranus conjunction at the end of Aquarius, um, because one thing I found in my research is that um, when the when we had our last closing square in 77, that 1977, to be specific, that was when Apple came out with its first personal computer. Wait, what year? 1977. Okay. And then by 1988, it became commonplace. Like 1988, now everyone has a So that was computer. the beginning of the Saturn Uranus cycle that we're at 
yeah. that we're in right now. Yeah. And look at what's happening technologically wise in, in this cycle. Um, but yeah, so the conjunction then happened in 88 and then everyone had a desktop computer. Like everyone, it started to become commonplace in people's homes, um, at that time. And, um, you see things coming out like, um, Microsoft and Microsoft word and PowerPoint and, um, people trying to make these technologies more user-friendly because there was resistance. There is a ton of resistance. Like, what is this contraption? What's this, what's this supposed to do for me? And now look at, now look at it. Everyone has computers. The same thing, um, from 1977 was, um, the Walkman, the Walkman was invented. Maybe some of you don't remember the Walkman, but the Walkman was a cassette player with headphones. And that was revolutionary because that was the first time you could take music with you out into the world without being in a car. I mean, um, like yeah. on foot and what that does to us culturally. I mean, look at the, the wave of music that happened, like look at, um, MTV and music videos and things like that, that eventually came out of just having, um, a closer relationship with music. Cause then by 1988, um, you know, everyone has it, it's everywhere. Uh, so a lot of times we'll see the introduction of something at the closing square, like where we're at now. And then by the next conjunction, it's commonplace. Mm. So were there other like closing squares in the past um, that you were drawing from? And like what was going on in these other closing squares between Saturn and Uranus? Well, yeah. Oh gosh. I have so many examples, but there's one really cool one that connects to computers. So, um, and this, this corresponds with, there was a need, there was a need for a new invention. Um, because there was, there was, um, the loom, let me find the name of the exact loom. Um, one second, let me pull up my notes, but there was, um, oh, it's Jacquard's loom was invented in 1805. And this was actually a conjunction, but this is important. Um, 1805, there was a conjunction between, um, yeah, there was a conjunction between Saturn and Uranus. And this is important because the invention of this loom was actually the first computer. This loom um, basically created, was able to create, um, elaborate patterns, elaborate patterns of brocades and, um, it for a much costly, like a much more cost efficient price. So this loom ran on binary code. So this, the loom was creating fabric, right? And for eons, fabric has always been a cultural, uh, a cultural symbol of status. So if you go back in history, there were laws in Europe that said that unless you made a certain amount of money, you couldn't wear this color or this fabric or this texture, um, because costume really evoked your status. So this loom in 1805, not only does it, is it the first computer running on binary code, the binary code, um, was telling the, the machine of, of where to sew what colors, 
but now you had more affordable, elaborate patterns that were more accessible to middle and lower class peoples. And so this machine was revolutionary because it not only made it a little bit easier on craftspeople, but it made certain patterns more accessible to people, which leveled the playing field in many ways. And also a lot of people in technology will reference this particular invention as being the first computer. That's so interesting, like that Promethean theme show up again in terms of like uh, distributing something that was like cornered for like a select few or something. Absolutely. Um, but I believe that it was the closing square before that. Let me just see here. I believe that it was the closing square um, before that. Oh, I'm mistaken. That one was just with the that one was just with the conjunction. But I have so many more examples of of cultural breakthroughs here. So the most important one, and this one's also a conjunction of Saturn and Uranus, is the plague, the Black Death in Europe. So this was um, in the mid 1300s, and this event was one of the greatest economic levelers in all of history. This was a time um, when, of course, um, we had a devastation of, of a pandemic um, that knocked out um, quite a, a significant um, percentage of Europe's population. I believe it was one third of Europe's population, as well as other parts of the world. And I see a lot of correspondence between today's time and that time, because this during the bubonic plague, actually, we also saw um, a significant shift that's happening now, which is the Saturn, um, the Jupiter Saturn conjunction. Yeah, I was about I was going to ask about that. It was popping up in my mind. Yeah. So um, that was happening at that time, too. So that was our last beginning of the air period. So for those of oh, you that. Yeah. Yeah. So for those of you that are a little bit um, newer to that um, astrological cycle is basically Jupiter and Saturn are going to conjoin in the same element for 200 years and then they'll switch elements. And when those planets switch conjunctions in each to a new element, it creates um, some interesting dynamics in our society as it shifts a cultural um, emphasis of of evolution that's taking place. So that period was actually the last time that we had um, the shift from Earth to air, which is also happening now. So that was 600 years ago. And that um, kind of I mean, do you make an association there with like airborne illness and like absolutely that being a part of. Because in some sense, yeah, that is like literally like of the air element, but then the pandemic being a driving, you know, force in terms of, you know, need begetting invention. Absolutely. Uh, and just the interesting things too, about how certain, um, uh, like in warmer weather, like cultures where there's a lot more like outdoor open air, just like structures, the pet, like the virus is spreading less than say like colder climates where people are indoors and like 
huddled in the same space. And so there's kind of, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've, um, in another batch of research that I've done, I've corresponded, um, air periods, like the 200 year air periods with, um, more, um, there seems to be a more common theme of transmission of germs and pandemics and things like that. Um, so yeah, I have seen that, but air in general does correspond with movement. So like you said, yeah, like being in more open areas, but it also corresponds with movement of people, um, which is also one way that we've seen, um, cultural and technological breakthroughs is, um, getting more technology from other parts of the world, historically speaking, of course. Um, but the bubonic plague was an interesting time because in the wake of, of the decimation, um, workers, workers became more valuable, laborers became more valuable. And so, um, workers were able to triple their wages and, they also demanded lower rents. So we see that as kind of a That's theme happening. right now. <laughs> we, we spoke about this um, in an earlier conversation, just about like the phenomenon of there being a lot of jobs out there that people just don't want right now. And that maybe in like a previous um, decade, you know, new jobs, like people would rush to go fill those positions. But now people are literally having a crisis in consciousness where they're like, I don't think I want to trade my hours in my day for that particular job or that toxic work environment. Um, And also the kind of rent, you know, the conversation around rent, especially when the pandemic first hit and people who were depending on their paychecks to pay rent, it was like, we can't, we can't be expected to pay rent if we don't have the job. Absolutely. And the exact same thing that's happening today where you see workers on strike, all of that, that was happening back then um, because the workers kind of had an upper hand in the same way that they do now in um, negotiating fair wages and better work conditions and things like that. And that theme is something I've seen a lot corresponding with this cycle, but what's fascinating about this, and there was of course a back and forth, you know, um, the, the wealthier people in, in that time were like, Ooh, we're giving you guys too much. There was a back and forth and, um, the attempt to try to, um, control that, which you see in the story of Robin hood, um, which was basically, if you want more information on, on that era, what was going on economically, socially Robin hood, that was what was happening. That was this era. Um, but what happened out of this, then, Wait, what do you mean? Oh, so in the Robin hood story, it was the whole idea of, um, the wealthy trying to impose a tax for everyone. So they said, okay, if, if we're going to be paying you all more, well, then we need to take more of it back. So they did this big tax and that was, um, in the Robin hood story, um, Robin hood was trying to steal from the rich and give to the poor. And it was King Richard the second. And that was exactly what was happening at this time. Hmm. Um, post post plague, but now then, Robin hood is like a trading app <laughs> and like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yes. I didn't even think of that connection. Holy. 
wow, astrology is something. (laughs) Um, But out of this period, because workers were saying, no, you're going to have to pay me more if you want me to do your dirty work. um, That basically paved for the Renaissance. The Renaissance is what came after the bubonic plague, because what happened was, is that there was a shift in cultural um, value. There was a shift in what was important and people began to invest in the arts. People began to invest in painters. And one of the reasons why that was able to happen too, was because tradespeople began to be more respected. So painters and artisans began to make more money. There were guilds that were formed. There was um, apprenticeship programs that happened and the wealthy began to invest in the arts. They began to invest in um, the inventions of of music, in um, fashion, in. Are you optimistic about this, like repeating? Yes. (laughs) I love I really feel like this movement, you know, just the pattern of being disenchanted by the options that seem to be readily available, um, in a current moment, whether it's in the collective or in our own lives, I feel like is that breakthrough moment, um, of like kind of being willing to take a gamble in some sense of like trying something new because the options that are available are just not like even palatable, like, And that's what this cycle is about, is it's saying there isn't a a better option. So let's create one. I love that. Yeah. I think too, like, you know, I've, I have really, um, kind of utopic visions around the sense that when people do what they love and like people are in touch with like their highest form of expression, that that's like, you know, the universe will provide, or like, there's a way that like synchronicities or like resources, like can often show up to support that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I read a book, um, you know, speaking of like financial breakthroughs, um, there was a time where I was doing a lot of intentional kind of like inner work on changing my relationship with money and like abundance, magic and manifestation and whatnot. But I remember reading this book by a Christian mystic, Florence Scovel Shin, and she was proposing that like, um, God is the supply. So like spirit, the universe, and that we can mentally identify that our money comes from an employer or whatever. And that, you know, she was saying like the employer is just an emanation of source. So like work with source directly. And I kind of feel that when it comes to like livelihood, you know, or belonging in society, but like, you can look to the culture to some extent, but also like, what about the deeper thing behind the culture, like the universal. Um, and I think that at moments where there's crisis personally, individuals are more prone to spiritual exploration because, you know, they want answers. Right. And then collectively in moments of upheaval or crisis like this, people still look for meaning. And so if that's going to help people kind of unhook themselves from the culture that has grown so disenchanting to them and like, isn't there, you know, what makes them want to get up in the morning, you know, to like connect with something beyond that. Um, and I think that just the circumstances as characterized by a Saturn Uranus square are like not pleasant. 
Like it doesn't apparently look like a huge opportunity, but I think crisis, you know, opportunity, there is that natural connection there. If we look at it from that viewpoint. Absolutely. And, and I love what you were saying about source and being able to, to trust source by expanding my perspective to look at this cycle and how it has, um, how it has prevailed, um, throughout history. I feel comforted that we are in a period where yes, it is difficult being a human today. Um, but there is a tomorrow and there will be a new version of tomorrow. Um, it's of course stressful when we're living through, um, when we're living through um, a pressure cooker moment like this. It's also important to remember though, that Saturn and Uranus, they make hard aspects every 11 years thereabout. So um, it's not super frequently. Um, there's just a lot of other major aspects that are happening right now, which is what makes this time that we're in. So Pluto unique. conjunction 2020. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Pluto return. Um, yes. Yeah. The, the Jupiter Saturn shifting elements. It's yeah, it's a lot, but I love what you said about trusting that creator or source is really the, the hand providing, um, knowing that we're being guided out of a period where we couldn't grow anymore. There's something else that is meant for us. There's something no, and else. And we knew that too. Like, I feel like we've been having the conversation about sustainability for years and it's like, but we keep doing the things that are unsustainable because it's still working. And it's like, eventually it has to reach a breaking point. Exactly. Kind of to my point earlier about this isn't necessarily a new anything like with that corresponds with these cycles, like, and what you said, like the conversation we're having, isn't new. We've been talking about this. This is just the crisis in consciousness where the rest of everyone else kind of has to get on board. And I, what I love, what I love about this period that we're in right now is people really questioning their why, you know, going back to the crisis of consciousness and being in a state of, of reflection, like why do we live the way that we do? Why do we work the way that we do? And you're right. We've been in these conversations for so long. Um, and yeah, I think people are starting to align more with their why versus the cycle of growth that we see from conjunction to opposition, like you said, new moon to full moon, where we're acquiring and we're building and we're gaining. But now we're in the waning period of the cycle where we're like, what does it all mean? Look at all this stuff that we built since 1988, but what does it all mean? And for those of us who are living through it on a personal level. Yeah. It's, it's evoking those changes in our personal life too. the Saturn you're on a square, wherever it's happening in your chart, whatever it's touching is it's also inviting us to evolve. It's inviting growth. It's inviting something new. And I love what you keep touching on, on how, um, yeah, like we don't really have a choice. Like we have to create something else. We have to create those new possibilities. And braving the unknown 
is part of what this what this transit invites is taking a taking a risk because taking the risk is the thing that makes the most sense. Yeah. I love, you know, hearing you bring in this research and like the macro and kind of like the world astrology perspective because a lot of how I tend to think about transits is personal and psychological. And I'm just seeing the similarities so strongly with like Saturn being um, calcified parts of our ego structure that might be convenient too, like the way that we're professional, you know, it's like it ensures a certain kind of experience or reality to have those kind of boundaries and potential rigidities, but they can become suffocating when it's like a control pattern or it, you know, there's some, the life has been sucked out of it. And I think, you know, the ego, um, having a concept of ourselves that's so rigid that like something new or interruptive, Uranus is entering our lives and there's some negotiation there of like how much we're going to try to hold on to our identity and how much we're willing to shift and like go with the, the change of tide. And I think that that process is stressful. Like the Saturn you're on a square, it feels like, um, you know, it's challenging to like give up identity structures and, we can do that smoothly at certain times, but I think during the square, it's so much more um, loud or maybe like confrontational. Um, and so that's just kind of the layer that I've been thinking of it as, but to kind of broaden that a lot and just see how like literally the world is going through it, how like the collective is going through it. And then we're each like these microcosms of the collective also going through it. Um, and I find that like comforting in the sense too, that, um, say like, you know, we have these conversations collectively about like, uh, relationship and toxic relationship dynamics that have been playing out generation after generation or between genders and whatnot. And how does the individual unhook from those patterns or create new patterns? That's also a personal stressor for someone who is in a relationship where those patterns that are being talked about in the collective are also manifesting in their very own relationship. Um, and just the individual work that people do to kind of change their own life is actually reflective of cultural evolution too. Um, and I think that it requires that we take the leap too, um, because there is a, there is a kind of connection we find in conformity, like, okay, this is toxic, but at least I have my people around me <laughs> and to like actually detach from that. There's the, the risk of like being alone for a minute in that process, um, of having stepped out from the consensus reality or from the pattern. So, yeah, like, like Prometheus, yeah. Taking, taking that leap, um, taking that leap to stand on your own, but eventually other people may follow, um, and it be, may become the new normal. And, um, something, something that you were saying had me thinking about, how the the normal right now that feels limiting or constricting was once a dream that we had collectively and it's so what in other words our 
framework of our society and lifestyle today would be considered so liberating, so Uranian to a human being hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And so I'm thinking about how our collective framework right now was once created by previous Saturn Uranus cycles of breakthrough and innovation and revolution and freedom. Yeah. Only now it's become, there are certain elements of our current framework that have certainly become stifling. And so there's a need to create more space. Um, today we, I was sharing with you that I had recently had a telemed conversation with a doctor and how I was just like, why didn't we think of this sooner? Like, I'm sick. Why would I want to go out into the world and go to a, a doctor's office? Um, but now, and that maybe that was an option before for certain people who couldn't leave the house, but now that option is going to always be available for people. Mm. And there's instances like that, um, that, um, are going to become a lot more commonplace and it's hard to see it because we're in it, but I'm interested because certainly within 10 years from now, we'll be able to look back on this period and say, oh my gosh, well, if it wasn't for the pandemic, we wouldn't have this, this, and this. Um, thinking about the way that online platforms have been flourishing, thinking about how um, some of these shortages we're experiencing, there's quote unquote shortages that are happening of materials. Um, and so how is that gonna invite someone to innovate that? Um, we're seeing innovations with 3D printing. Um, people are recycling other materials um, to create new structures. Um, something that we see a lot with this cycle is innovations in architecture. So I'm wondering if being able to um, being able to borrow some of our resources, some of our waste, um, thinking about the South node going through Scorpio and funneling into the North node in Taurus, if there's a way that we can see, because the Saturn Uranus square is still going to be making aspects in 2022, um, just not exact, but other planets will be linking them. They'll be close enough. We'll still be working with this theme all of next year as the nodes shift into Taurus Scorpio. Um, but yeah, we are starting to see more innovations in, in um, materials and things like that. So it'll be interesting to see what emerges out of this shortage that we're experiencing and also how people are choosing to use their time differently. And people are, cre people, a lot of people are, you know, they call it the great resignation. And that's so, I, I think that's so cool. We're in a time period called the great resignation where people are deciding to retire early and spend more time with their, with their family. Cause we're reminded that life is short. Um, during this time, the crisis of consciousness, we we're reminded what life is about. Um, people are deciding to work maybe less people are just deciding to start their own businesses or go to school. Um, we see a lot of people, um, signing up for nursing school. And it's not that it's not that unemployment is high. It's not, it's low. It's just that people are cho choosing to use their time differently. So it's interesting um, as people start their own businesses and they are, they're in the mindset of, of what do people need? What else do people need? How can I use my gifts and my talents, and my education 
in a way that that serves people. And I think this definitely corresponds with some of the other themes I've been mentioning about um, wanting to make wanting to earn a better living too, um, wanting to have better perks and benefits. Um, so another another big big piece of history I can draw to correspond with the cycle is the French Revolution, where the chasm of wealth was so great that um, the wealthy people were painting their golden carriages black to avoid persecution. Um, the the um, disparity of wealth um, is greater now than it was then. Um, but that was that was a time of also huge technological breakthrough, too. That was the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. But at the same time, people were saying we deserve better. So you see um, the two elements of that, of people saying we we deserve to live better and also the technological breakthroughs that were coming through. Mm-hmm. Wow. I was getting chills again when you were talking about the great resignation um, and people choosing to use their time differently. And just that, you know, yeah, that closing part of the cycle not being about acquiring. So it's not so much striving or so much like, you know, working toward that pinnacle, like full moon moment, even it's like something has been built, you know, and I'm connecting with that now in terms of like, um, having gotten sick, like around Halloween and taking a month off and just kind of realizing like, um, what it felt like to rest that much and like how that might change how I schedule my time moving forward and how, um, when I was 21 onward, like piling up hours of work was important to me because it was training my skill set and it was collecting experience and it was building my my stuff, my business. And now that kind of growth mindset is not, you know, isn't it anymore. It's a lot more about deepening into relationships with students and clients and like the curriculum and just also rest, like having time to just think. And I think what's interesting too, with Saturn and Aquarius, I feel like that placement really just does want time to think and like space, you know, to have, to develop big, you know, complex paradigmatic ideas and Uranus and Taurus is also that conversation about radical rest. And like, I think even, um, tuning into the earth and like having a generative relationship with earth where, um, a lot of the kind of consumerist, like the other kind of like conventional societal side of Taurus about like wanting to acquire a bunch of items, um, is feeding something like feeding some hunger, uh, that's very Taurian. And there's other ways to feed that hunger that are like not so addiction based or not so extractive, not so damaging to the environment, not so hollow. Like there's just a way of like embodiment or tuning into the earth. And I think when we talk about technologies, you know, like green technology, I'm also wondering about like more commonly under like known ways to connect with the earth that are like, um, more like more of a real relationship, like more spiritual, as opposed to like, um, you know, drinking cacao and being like, I'm, you know, getting so much from this cacao, but it's like still based on like, yeah, like taking and not like this, like the ceremony or like the giving back to the earth or like, 
relationship of like sitting on the earth and like creating a, um, a meditation of like sending our roots down and connecting with the earth's body and like all of that kind of stuff, I feel like would, if practiced, you know, more commonly, and that wasn't such a fringe idea, like people would maybe relate to physical possessions differently. I don't think we need as much. And also just relate to the earth differently. Like if that was considered like a a commonplace practice for people to just, just sit and just be outside and to consciously ground and even go deeper, as you said, sending the energy down and having that connection in that ritual. Yeah. I mean, it would definitely make people think twice about, um, how, how much we're taking versus how much are we able to give back, um, as best as we can. Cause I think that's one of the biggest things right now that is concerning people, um, is that it's not that, oh, it's not that people like you and I don't want to do more for the environment. It's just that with the way our world is structured, it makes it extremely difficult or time consuming. And so if only the resources were allocated differently, or if there were better incentive for those with the means to invest in um, altering the infrastructure, um, then perhaps it would make it easier for people like you and me, um, who, who work, who have livelihoods, you know, who don't necessarily have the time to grow our own food and compost and create our own linens. You know what I mean? Yes, um, yeah. <laughs> like it would I be really great. connect with that. Cause it, I do think that there, that brings in that Saturn side, like the Uranian infused Saturn of like creating new infrastructure that's more relevant to the needs of the time or the needs of the future. So that some of these greater kind of ideals, Aquarius as well, or Uranus and Taurus can be grounded into reality. Um, And I really think that with, um, you know, Uranus in general, that idea of like the innovator who creates trends that like, much good can be done when like the, the values of culture change so that it's, you know, I'm big on like personal accountability and like personal transformation, but it always happens in a cultural context. And when the culture literally just makes it easier for certain things to transpire, it's like so supportive, um, as opposed to having to go uphill to resist, you know, the culture. Yeah. I'm hoping that we'll start to see strides towards shifting our infrastructure. Um, I've many, many reasons why I think that that's possible astrologically. Um, but I'm hoping, um, or I'm optimistic that by the next conjunction, that some of these shifts to, to alter the infrastructure toward sustainability will be more commonplace. And I love the, the cross-section of Aquarius, um, Saturn and Aquarius technology. And, um, you know, it's, it's a sign of the group shared collaborative, um, and Taurus, which is Uranus and Taurus, which is sustainability. I'm really hoping that at least we can see some significant strides. Um, I happen to see during this past Scorpio season, while, um, you know, all the, all the personal plans were kind of activating the Saturn Uranus square. I did see a lot more articles on Reddit about, um, 
let's see, there was um, a weed, a weed killer that used lasers instead of pesticides. It was like a robot and it goes into the fields and it shoots lasers to the weeds. That's cool. Um, I also saw this thing called a rowboat, um, which they're using in Europe. And it's a boat that's a robot um, that cleans up trash in the water. And it can also be used for transportation. And it just is can be used for many different things. So I, I, I have my eyes peeled for innovations like that. Also in education or education model, um, while my daughter is not old enough to be in school, I am hearing, um, you know, I've been hearing so many concerns, not just with the way that education has been affected by the pandemic, but the education model in general, I think there's been dissatisfaction for a while. And so I think there will be innovations in the way that we educate in the way that we learn. Um, but speaking of shifts in infrastructure, I do have a reference here. So, um, Edison, even though he didn't invent the light bulb, um, Edison, he just patented it. Edison, um, basically was able to set up a plant in New York city and New York city is the first to become operative under a new electrical system. So New York became the first city to have an electrical grid. And that was shortly before this closing square happened in 1885. So you have to imagine that if New York did it in 1882, that by 1885, um, there's a lot of innovation in, um, making cities have their own electrical grid. So that's something that happened at the closing square. So you have to imagine certainly by the next conjunction that most major cities um, would have been working toward that or had that at that time. And so, yeah, thinking about shifts in infrastructure right now, um, I'm really, really hopeful to see um, those strides to be in harmony with with the planet. I'm hoping to see more environmental technologies emerge. Mm, let's signal boost that <laughs> to the angels and like the spirit guides and whoever wants to help make that a reality. Um, is there anything um, else that you want to share about Saturn Uranus or what you're anticipating maybe just in the next year in 2022? Um, yeah, I think certainly innovations in the way that we work are going to continue um, to be a big theme. Um, that's something that I've seen through and through in my research is workers revolutions as well that have happened. The first May Day um, occurred in also in 1885 that that established the um, the eight hour workday. So I think that Which now people want to get rid of <laughs> exactly yeah. exactly and the and the five um, day work week. Um, so that's yeah, a lot that's, of time it is, and especially with technology available. Um, I saw a statistic recently that said that up to 50 percent of Americans truly wholeheartedly believe that their job is pointless. Like just sitting at a desk somewhere when a machine. So that's actually one of my um, predictions for this time period is that I do feel like there will be certain fields um, that will say, yes, we value our workers. Um, we want you to stay here. We're going to pay you more. We're going to give you better benefits, all of that. 
but I also think some, um, some industries will move more toward automation, which will of course solve some problems and create new ones. Um, because if we use technology, it, if we use technology to the best of our advantage, we could ideally minimize the work week for everyone. <laughs> um, so I'm hopeful. Well, hopefully if that feeds into the Renaissance energy and people just have more time to pursue other things. Cause I, I think, and maybe it's my like Capricorn North node or whatever speaking, but I think like it's a human need to have like something to aspire to, um, in a like worldly sense, like one's purpose. And we're kind of conditioned to think of that as our career as well, or also how we make money. And I mean, I don't think it is that way for everyone. It's certainly helpful if the two align, um, why am I going down this tangent? Oh, I think that need for doing something that feels purposeful is still there. And when, when we can find a way to, you know, have the resources and the money that we need, regardless of whether that's coming from like a job or the thing that we are, you know, considering to be our purpose. Um, I think when we feel like our survival needs are taken care of, um, I think there's a, a natural desire for more. Like it's not just like wanting to sit around and just like luxuriate and everything being peachy. Like I think people want to go do something and whether that's, you know, if it's not a job, it could be, you know, something else that's generative or something community building, or even just like, um, yeah, I think just like ways of, of creating value like in our lives and in the world and to have the time to do that and the resourcefulness to do that. I love that. Yeah. And, and that's such a great point, Sabrina, about, um, purpose and, and the human, the innate human drive to do something more, um, that a lot of people have. And yeah, maybe that's something that is at least being provoked from this crisis of consciousness is if it's not that, then what would it be? Because that's something I encounter a lot in my practice, even um, when people retire is, you know, what's, what's the new purpose? What's the new thing that's meaningful. And very often people do have to shift their, um, their perspective or their consciousness on what does my work mean? Um, thinking about the idea, we talk a lot in astrology of vocation, the idea of vocation, um, and like your purpose. And like you said, sometimes that is very much aligned with your career. Um, but what else could it be? So I think that that's a really helpful and supportive, um, um, point of contemplation as we move, as we continue to move through this. Like even an example that comes to mind too, is like, someone's community, like their friendships could matter so much to them and be like a really huge place in their life of activity and spiritual development. And I think, um, the skills of learning how to be in relationship are really valuable and a person can intrinsically be living that path and, you know, creating positive ripples in the world through being in such like right relationship Um, And it can also literally be someone's like career because they write books about it or coach people or something. Um, But I think that the, the work that goes into 
learning how to cultivate relationship are not clock hours. Like as in like, you don't clock into work and it's like, okay, now I'm having this conversation or now I'm going to this, you know, like it's, it's just one living their life. And I think to kind of melt the brain a little bit of like what our purpose is, is not necessarily the thing that we have clocked in for work for. It's like stuff that we do in our daily life that we're not necessarily getting paid for. But if that skill set does become something that we um, offer in a professional sense, then yeah, it can translate into money. But I don't yeah. think, yeah, that the money implies that it is purpose or not. That's just a certain intelligence around like the business side of it. Yeah, I'm hopeful that this North Node in Taurus and the eclipses in Taurus will help people to kind of slow down and like you said, get their feet in the dirt and just kind of be more present. And like you said, like your purpose could be your friends or it could be, you know, it could be cooking. <laughs> it could be um, serving your friends a delicious meal. And that's a point of pride. And that fills your cup. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm excited about this next phase that we're entering with the eclipses. Cause you know, the eclipses in, in Scorpio and Taurus, as you know, are going to ignite the Saturn you're on a square. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see what emerges for us socially and technologically and yeah, everything else. <laughs> it'll be interesting to see what emerges. Thank you for all of this illuminating perspective on this big moment that we're in collectively. Um, how can people find you and work with you? I can be reached at pretty much um, across all platforms at Astro Catherine. That's Catherine with a C. And everyone who is interested, <laughs> you can um, book your reading with me at catherineurban.com. Awesome. Well, this has been so wonderful to talk to you again. And um, I really appreciate the research that you did um, to kind of bring in these world examples from not just this current Saturn Uranus cycle, but one's past and give it this um, kind of like greater perspective or like that Aquarian, like bird's eye view, um, because that the circumstance on the ground, you know, is often difficult. Um, in these kind of moments, but to see um, kind of the meaning in it or the moment in time of it. And I love, um, you know, I didn't know about that Renaissance part, <laughs> you know, coming after this moment and definitely breakthrough can imply something like that. But I'm really excited about that possibility um, and grateful that we got to share that here. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Sabrina, for having me. And I always love our enchanting conversations. Thank you so much. Me too. Thanks for finding me here. Somehow we like found each other on the astral plane, but I'm so oh, appreciative for that. Too. I'm sure it'll happen again. <laughs> Neptune. <laughs> All right. Well, see you. See you in the dream plane next time. See you.
Thank you for listening. If you love this podcast and have something to say about it, I would love to read your review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. If you take a screenshot of your review before you click submit and email it to me at sabrina at monarchastrology.com, I'll send you a resource library about creating and elevating your reality, including several hours of content and one of my favorite talks I've ever given called Play in the Evolution of Alternate Realities, which is about the primordial powers of the Leo archetype and the kind of creative consciousness that comes into play when we play, um, essentially. So your review helps the visibility of this podcast. It allows this podcast to reach more like-minded people. You know, if so if you've benefited from it, um, felt it be a positive influence in your life, please um, give back via the review. I appreciate it a lot.